0: Let's pray. Now, Lord, we just sung and ask that you would shape our yearnings to the gospel of your son. And Lord, we pray that as you speak to us now through your word, you would do just that. Help us to love what you love. Help us to be shaped to love you more, to serve you, to live wholeheartedly for you. Working us by your Spirit, we pray, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, soon after Britain declared war with Germany on the 4th of August 1914, the Commonwealth of Australia pledged 20,000 soldiers to support the motherland. But the response was so strong from young Australian men. And that soon afterwards, that number, 20,000, got up to 50,000. And 50,000 soldiers were eventually dispatched to Egypt to prepare for battle. But sometime later, around April, 106 years ago, when news of the Gallipoli campaign reached home, and Australia learned that some 8,000 of their own would not return, you may have expected the enthusiasm for the war effort to be, you know, shifted downwards a little. But something rather strange happened. The cause captured the nation. And so in the six months following the Gallipoli landing, more than 100,000 more Australians enlisted to join the imperial force. That that first wave of recruits, they may have been ignorant, right? They may have just been going for a sense of adventure, not knowing the horrors that lay ahead. But that second wave, after Gallipoli, they, they knew what they were signing up for. They had heard the stories. They knew what had happened to their brothers, to their mates. And yet they signed up in even greater numbers. What is it that possesses someone to do that? What possesses a man to leave his home and his family, to travel overseas into the middle of the bloodiest battle the world had yet seen? What drives a man to volunteer for a life of fear and suffering and likely death? The hope of a better life. You know, Those 1 in 12 Australians who enlisted to fight in World War I, they didn't volunteer to die. They volunteered to fight for the cause of justice, for freedom and for peace. They signed up to suffer in the hope of a better life for themselves and for their families and for their fellow citizens. Well, this morning in Matthew 5, Jesus holds out to us the hope of a better life. That Jesus offers you this morning a life so good, a life so valuable, that it's worth being insulted for, it's worth being persecuted for, it's worth suffering for, it's even worth dying for. But unlike the Anzacs, or many of the Anzacs, who suffered for that good life but never got to live it. The good news for us here this morning is that it is through suffering that we are guaranteed the good life. So let's take a look at what Jesus has to say to us in those verses that Graham just read. Uh, but if you were with us two Sundays ago, when we started looking at Jesus' description of the good life, You'll remember how right from the outset we noticed that Jesus' description of the good life didn't necessarily match with our own. What Jesus says is good doesn't necessarily align with the things that we dream about. Because when Jesus says the good life, he doesn't mention anything about a house in Noosa or a healthy investment portfolio, or regular overseas holidays, or even having a beautiful family. He doesn't mention those things, and not that those things are necessarily bad, but Jesus knows they're not best. The good life, says Jesus, is not about being rich, but about recognising that you're spiritually poor, because it's then that you'll turn to Jesus and be welcomed into his kingdom. You'll be more happy, says Jesus, when you mourn over your sin. Because it's then that you'll find comfort in Jesus' forgiveness. You will gain more, says Jesus, from recognising how great Jesus is instead of having everyone else recognise how great you are. You can hunger for riches or recognition, or relaxation. But you'll only ever be truly satisfied, says Jesus, when you hunger for righteousness. See, all along, Jesus has been tweaking our ideas about what is good and showing us what is truly good, what's eternally good. But then we get to the last beatitude, this last description of the good life in verse 10 of Matthew 5. And it's here that we see just how radically different the Christian life is from the lives that your friends and neighbours are living. It's here that the gap between our conception of the good life and Jesus' conception of the good life is at its widest point. Because it's here that Jesus says it is good to be persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the first thing we need to see here, and the first thing that you'll see on your outline, if you've got one of those, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, persecution is to be expected. Now, I don't know about you, but when we read and when I read words like this, I think my instinctive reaction is to try and work out how it doesn't apply to me. We read these words and we don't want them to be true. And so we read them and maybe we dismiss them as words of comfort for those who happen to be being persecuted. We want verse 11 to say, Blessed are you if people insult you, if people persecute you, if people say all kinds of evil about you. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He says, blessed are you when? Because the Beatitudes are not possibilities for Christians. These, these statements of blessing, these are the norms of the Christian life. This is not a description of what life could be like. This is a description of what life should be like in Jesus' kingdom. And so all of these statements should be true of all Christians. Which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should expect to be persecuted because of your faith. Now, that, that shouldn't be news to us. Uh, the Bible is really clear about this again and again and again. It comes up uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke all record Jesus saying, you will be hated by everyone because of me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And likewise, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, he tells people not to be surprised when we get persecuted. He says, don't think that it's something strange that is happening. This is completely normal. This is what we should expect. If you are going to make your king the one who was beaten and mocked and tortured and killed when he came into the world, well, we should expect to receive the same treatment. Because at its heart, the gospel is divisive, isn't it? Jesus himself said he didn't come to bring peace to the world, but division, which is a startling claim. It's not how we tend to think of Jesus. But Jesus says he actually came to divide people. He came preaching a message that cuts to the heart of everything that we hold so dear. He came speaking a message that attacks our pride and exposes our greed. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like admitting that I'm wrong. I suspect you're the same. I hate admitting I'm wrong so much that when I do something wrong, I try to convince myself that I'm right. I I essentially lie to myself, and I might even lie to others. And and I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not alone, because I was reading a story recently about a man who invested his and his wife's life savings in a bad investment. It was with a close friend of his, and his wife had warned him against it. They had discussed the idea. She said, I think it's a bad idea. I don't want you to do it. And so he did it without telling her. It's not a good idea. Don't do that. The investment went bad. The money's gone. But instead of admitting his foolish mistake to his wife, well, the man and his friend, they decide that they're going to recover the money through crime. So it started off as minor theft. They grew to become major fraud and then drug dealing. And the whole time, the two of them swore that they would stop with the crime as soon as they had made back what they had lost. Well, the man did do just that, but his friend didn't. The friend continued with the criminal activity. And so this man watched on as his best friend became more and more brazen And he feared that it was only a matter of time before his friend would be caught and then all of his crime would be brought to light. The man couldn't bear the thought of being exposed. He couldn't bear the thought of his wife knowing what he had done. He couldn't bear the thought of being wrong. And so he pleaded with his friend to stop stealing. But when his friend refused... He had no other option. And so he murdered his friend. So human nature is such that we would rather lie than admit that we're wrong. We would rather cheat and we would rather steal and we would rather cover up the fact that we're wrong. We would rather kill to silence those who might expose the fact that we're wrong. Humans hate admitting that they're wrong, which is why religious leaders justified themselves as they handed the Saviour of the world over to be crucified. And it's the same reason that the world hates Christianity today. Now, today, it may be hidden under a thin veneer of tolerance, but make no mistake, we live in a world that is hostile to the gospel. Because believing that Jesus is king comes with the humbling reality that you are not king. And many would rather not accept that reality. And so if we are faithful to his message, we should expect to be persecuted. We should expect to encounter opposition. We should expect mocking. We should expect teasing. We should expect discrimination. It shouldn't surprise us one bit when people rage against us for being followers of Christ. But we don't need to fear it. We don't even need to fight it. We don't need to grin and bear it. Because Jesus tells us that instead we should joyfully embrace it. That's right. Persecution is to be expected and joyfully accepted because Jesus says those who are persecuted are blessed he tells them to rejoice and be glad and he gives us three reasons why firstly in verse 10 he tells us that it is those who are persecuted because of righteousness that belong in his kingdom persecution is a blessing because it reminds us of where our true home is Because just as it's the kid who doesn't fit in that gets bullied at school and just as it's the foreigner who deals with racial abuse, Christian persecution is a reminder to us that this is not our home. We don't belong here because we're set apart for somewhere else. We belong in the kingdom of heaven. And anything that reminds us of where our true home is, is a good thing. Jesus says we have a great reward to look forward to. So we can rejoice in persecution now because it reminds us of that future. So firstly, persecution reminds us of where we belong. Uh, Secondly, persecution authenticates our faith. In verse 12, Jesus tells us that the persecution we experience today is the same persecution that the prophets experienced in Old Testament times. And, of course, it's the same persecution that Jesus himself would go on to experience. Persecution is confirmation that we're on the right track, that we're aligned with the prophets and with Jesus himself. And so when you cop abuse at work for following Jesus, you can know that you're not alone. You're continuing in a long line of others who have gone before you and who have faithfully suffered for the cause of righteousness. That's the second reason we can rejoice in persecution. The final reason is that persecution enhances our witness. See, when we rejoice in persecution, we're proclaiming publicly that there is something better that we're living for. We're showing the world that we have a hope beyond this life. And so in verses 13 to 16, Jesus goes on to say that Christians are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And both salt and light are things that stand out in their surroundings, And so in the same way, Christians are to capture the attention of others with how they live. And what better way is there for you to stand out from your neighbours than by doing good even when you get abused for it? What better way is there to be distinctive in this world than to repay opposition with love? What better way is there to capture the attention of others than to faithfully endure persecution with a quiet confidence that a glorious future awaits? Friends, when we endure persecution joyfully, we show the world that we are living for something better. We are showing the world that this is not all there is. In fact, there is far more that we can hope in. And so there's those three reasons that Jesus says we can rejoice in the face of persecution. It reminds us that we belong. It gives our faith authenticity. It enables us to shine like lights in a dark world. But as we wrap up, I want you to think about what this means for you today. What do these verses, how do these verses play out in your life this week? What's going to change for you? And that really depends on whether or not you actually are experiencing persecution now. And so firstly, I want to address those of you who are experiencing persecution for being a follower of Jesus. Whether that be from members of your own family. Whether that be at work. Whether that be amongst your circle of friends whether that be on, you know, the broader sphere of society, if you're experiencing persecution, uh, firstly, make sure that you are being persecuted for righteousness. Because if you're being persecuted for being obnoxious, you're not blessed. If you're being persecuted for being judgmental, you're not blessed. If you're being persecuted for being a hypocrite, you are not blessed. God's approval is reserved for those who are being persecuted for righteousness. That is for wanting to please him, to honour him, to live his way, to live good lives. So if it is righteousness that you're suffering for, well then friends, the message for you this morning is rejoice. If you're being abused for righteousness, rejoice. Now, know that that is different from being happy. Now, persecution is hard, and Jesus is not asking you to smile your way through it. He himself knows the heartbreak of having friends abandon his righteous cause. Jesus knows the physical pain that can be inflicted on those who oppose God. Jesus knows the mental anguish that comes with seeing nothing but suffering on the road ahead. So know that it will be hard. But you can endure that pain with the joy of knowing that persecution doesn't show God's abandonment of you, but in fact the very opposite of that. Persecution for Jesus shows that you belong to Jesus. It is a sign that you are aligned with him. And so friends, if you've been doing it tough lately for being a Christian, rejoice. Rejoice knowing that great is your reward in heaven. That won't be easy. But we can find joy in that still. Now, my suspicion is that most of us here are probably not enduring persecution for our faith, or at least not to any significant extent. Because most of us will go about our lives this week, and the fact that we believe in Jesus will have very little impact on the way we get treated by others. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. We can, we can thank God that we do live in a country where, where Christianity is accepted and not, you know, not, it is tolerated. We can thank God that we are treated well. But given the fact that Jesus says his followers will be persecuted. If we're not being persecuted, I think we at least need to ask ourselves some tough questions. I think we need to ask ourselves, are we living a distinctively Christian life? Are you living in a way that is obviously different from what your neighbours are living for? And to use the language that Jesus uses, are you the salt of the earth? Or are you the boiled rice that just takes on the taste of whatever else is in the dish? are you a light in the darkness or are you hiding in the shadows? Because it's really tempting for us to believe that the best thing for us to do is to keep our beliefs to ourselves, to stay quiet, to blend in, to keep the peace. Everyone else likes it when we do that. It's comfortable for us when we do that. It seems like a good thing. But Jesus says it is not good. Jesus says the good life, the blessed life, the lives of those who belong in his kingdom are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And when we seek present comfort now at the expense of eternal glory later, we're not living a good life. And so, friends, if you're living a quiet Christianity, a faith that goes by unnoticed, a walk with Jesus that doesn't bring opposition, then you may need to repent of that. It is not necessarily a wrong thing, but if we are deliberately trying to avoid righteousness to avoid persecution rather than speak boldly for Jesus, then we need to repent of that. And we need, we need to at least ask ourselves the question, are we truly seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, or are we seeking first our comfort? And so friends, if you're not being persecuted for following Jesus, it's a warning sign at least that you may not be following Jesus as closely as you might have thought. The solution here is not to go seeking after persecution. (laughs) You you don't need to go and start poking bears. The solution here is to to start seeking righteousness. Because remember, Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being obnoxious, blessed are those who are persecuted for poking bears, blessed are those who are persecuted for starting fights. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And so if we seek to live a good life, if we seek to live for the glory of our Lord Jesus and for nothing else, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, well, persecution will come. We will be opposed. We will suffer. But we can also know that we will be satisfied, that we will be in the kingdom of our Saviour, that we will belong to him forever, that we will enjoy perfect peace and freedom forever. And so, friends, seek righteousness this week. Now, let's pray. Our Lord God, it's a hard word for us to hear this morning. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to suffer. We enjoy comfort. We enjoy peace. But Lord, we pray that you would give us love for you that transcends our love for all other things. Help us to see that you alone are worth loving, that you alone are worth giving our whole lives to. Lord, may we see how good you are so that we may know that suffering is a small price to pay. Lord, would you give us the will to live as salt and light in this world this week? With whatever consequences that brings, may you give us the strength to persevere in our faith even when persecution comes. Lord, may you give us the strength to hold on to your promise that those who are faithful to you till the end will enjoy life forever with you in your kingdom. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on that, we pray. Help us to live for you this week, for our good and for your glory. Amen.